where companies are spending their money has changed because the marketplace in general is much more competitive. Consumers are demanding much more now and people are shopping with their own values and beliefs, I think, more than they ever have done before. And that's, for me, where brand is really important because if you think about when the last time you purchased something that didn't relate or align with your own values, it was probably a long, long time ago. This is about how to succeed in the art world. Our world is changing. Somebody aspiring to take things to the next level. You're going to have a whole lot of information. You're listening to Art Pod. Hello and welcome to Art Pod. I'm Jamie Gawley. I'm previously an art dealer and have since co-founded an art logistics company called Queens and an art technology company called Views. We're in one of the most exciting periods the art industry has ever seen. We've got the Messverse here and art and culture is going to help define what that looks like in the way they have in the real world. Startups are challenging the roles of galleries, auction houses and fairs and some people are trying to democratise art while others are trying to do the exact opposite. I'm going to be speaking with some of the people pioneering this new art world and hearing about how they're reimagining it in response to the world that we're currently living in. This week, I'm speaking with James Quirk. James is a friend, a colleague. He's the head of marketing at Queen's Fine Art, and he also runs his own podcast. So I was very keen to pick his brains. He's also a really great guy. He's got some amazing kind of insights and ideas on kind of how to market to the arts industry and also kind of what a good modern day marketer looks like. And I always find it really fascinating to talk to him. So I hope this is interesting. hope this is useful in some way. Yeah, over to James. I don't, I don't, know, if we've, I don't know if we've started properly already, but if we have, perhaps, yeah, do, do you want to just tell everyone who you are? Introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah, sure. For purposes of like the podcast and everything, I am James Quirk. So I am the lead marketing manager at Queen's in London. We are an international specialist logistics company. So we started the business very much predominantly in the the fine art uh, industry and kind of shipping and stalling, storing fine art around the world for galleries, museums, collectors, and everything in between. And then more recently, we've had um, specifically kind of like high net worth clients come to us to manage more of their um, their logistics requirements outside of just fine art. So whether that be ultra high net worth relocations or um, transportation of jewellery, for example. Uh, so very much kind of operating in the specialist logistics space. And then in addition to that, we've already got uh, our own podcast going, which is called Temporary Admission. And that is aimed at kind of demystifying the art world and kind of interviewing and spotlighting uh, industry insiders to kind of find out kind of who they are, what they're up to and um, kind of what projects they're working on, really. So when when you say demystifying, is the, that sounds like the focus, the the kind of like your target listener is someone maybe who's outside the industry trying to get a sense, trying to get in or just someone who's generally interested in it, trying to get a sense of how it works? It's a bit of both. So demystifying in the sense that people that aren't in the industry um, should very much feel that the podcast is a place that they can come to, to learn a little bit more about the industry and what's going on but also demystifying in the sense that there's so much going on in the industry that you can be forever learning and there's lots going on that potentially, you know, you're operating in a registrar role at a gallery, you maybe don't have the chance to learn a huge amount about kind of what's going on with digital art or NFTs, for example, 
So mm. allowing you to kind of maybe get light into a different kind of part of the industry that you haven't been exposed to previously. So it's a bit of both, but it's also not a super heavy podcast that is detailed and um, going to be filled with kind of lots of uh, art jargon. It, I don't want it to be like that because I don't want it to alienate the two audiences. Um, but it's very much aimed at people that just want to learn a little bit more on their commute that they can tune in in kind of a short 20 minute burst and learn something interesting about what's happening in the world that they're interested in. You've got to be learning quite a lot just by doing it yourself. Yeah, it's it's crazy in the sense that, um, I mean, you know that I'm not from an art background. So I think it's fascinating that you can learn so much so quickly doing a podcast and meet so many new people. Like, obviously, we've got extremely strong relationships with all the clients that we already deal with at Queen's. But the podcast allows you to kind of approach something in a completely different way, much more informally and kind of see things from a non-logistics point of view. Have you been have you been reaching out to loads of people you don't like? What's the response rate? To, like given given you're still kind of like early stage. Yeah, I mean, for early stage podcast, I was fully expecting to be shot down at pretty much every turn bringing people in. And that hasn't been the case. I would say the response rate is 70, 80%. And then the acceptance rate is probably about 40%. And the main reason people don't go for it? Main reason people don't go for it, I get the impression is either they don't like talking, um, so they just don't want to be in the spotlight at all, or it's a new podcast, they don't know what it's like, and they don't want to go for something that's new. Um, and we've had a few people that have said, we want to listen to the first season, then we'll come back. Um, but please send us the episodes. So I don't think they'll necessarily be no's. I think they'll just be. What's the season? The, what's the season in the world of podcasting? Is it just where you like arbitrarily like and decide to like? Yeah, I can't decide every. Yeah, every podcast seems to have different amount of episodes in their season. I'm kind of toying between it being 12 in a season. <laughs> but what's it mean? Like, is there actually a break between season one or two or is it completely continuous? This is the thing for me. I don't really, I, the season is kind of irrelevant because it's going to be going out like every week anyway. I think there might be like a slight shift in topic. I don't know. Right. Okay. Right. I mean, by mistake, we've almost focused uh, probably about 30, uh, 40% of the episodes that we've got lined up are on kind of like art tech and potentially not everyone wants to learn about art tech. So there's the argument that you could do a season on tech, a season yeah. on artists themselves. Um, but I think we're just in the early stages where it's quite nice to explore at the moment and just cast the net really wide. Um, so we've got one coming up that's um, on an art fair, um, which is pretty exciting and kind of like the roles that are involved within playing an art fair and programming and things. But then we've also got you know, we're speaking to artists as well directly. Mm. So it's a complete mix of of things on the podcast, which is what I kind of want it to be. Are you kind of waiting to, like, how are you, did you come into it with a theme or are you just kind of talking to people and waiting to kind of see what emerges? I went into it with a theme of having people in the industry sharing what they're working on and right. what gets them excited and also how they got to where they are today because... Mm. what's been quite interesting is the majority of people that we've spoken to on the podcast they have pretty amazing positions within the art industry 
I mean, they're directors of major art fairs or they're, um, you know, managing operations for a gallery or, um, you know, there's a, a huge array of people that we've had on there or we've got mm. scheduled in. And I think what's become apparent is less than you would think have had um, a background in the industry. Mm. And I think a lot of people seem to assume that everyone in the art industry is from the art industry always or has kind mm. of trained in art or, um, you know, their family has collected art. And I think that's quite interesting that that hasn't been the case. Mm. And yet they've still got to where they are today and they're managing huge art fairs, for example. Have you, have you, have you kind of noticed, because I mean, obviously you don't have an art industry background, um, has, has that like helped you in some respects? Has that, have, you, have you noticed any ways in which it's like helped give you a kind of fresh, has it helped you bring ideas to the way that you're doing things that you otherwise wouldn't have brought to the table, maybe? I think so, in the sense that a lot of art podcasts that are specifically focused around like art interest and maybe you know the specifics into like how a work is created or different eras within the art industry they're in my view quite intense and you have to be a, a true art lover to be interested in that podcast whereas I think the angle that we're coming at is you can be interested in art and not know a huge amount about it and therefore not feel intimidated by listening to something like temporary admission whereas you might feel intimidated listening to something else where they're talking about something that you've never heard of for example yeah. and you're getting a bit lost just because you're tuning into an art podcast and i don't want that to be like a barrier so i think it's been interesting like not having an art background so so on that on that note because i'm mm -hmm. so so you're obviously lead marketing manager for an art industry company yeah do you feel that are you going to be more or less likely to kind of get business through your podcast for the fact that you are more accessible? I don't think it's necessarily that we're more accessible, so we're more likely to get business. I think it's something we've learned at Queen's is the reason people deal with us over, say, another art logistics company is because of the people and the relationship that they have with those people. and um them feeling like they can build that relationship over time with their logistics partner and i think a lot of the feedback we've had from clients that use us very regularly is that they use us because they can trust us and they use us because they like working with us so i think by having a podcast we're almost giving a voice to queens in the sense that we're opening up conversation for people to kind of learn and talk about something they're interested in, but also mm. for people to learn a little bit more about the people behind Queens as well. So, mm. you know, I'm not saying that I am Queens at all, but mm. I, I think it gives people another way for them to learn more about Queens. We've also got kind of artists, um, not artists, sorry, spotlight artists. You might, you might not be Queens, but you are the person who Queens have kind of like anointed to represent them <laughs> for, on, yeah. as far as like... Yeah, in, in that sense, yes. Um, mm. But hopefully the podcast shows that by the calibre of the guests that we're bringing on, that we're also, as a company, working with, you know, pretty reputable people within the industry that operate at, a, a, you know, sometimes quite a standing level within the industry that they can trust us with their moves and their kind of logistics requirements at the same time. If 
you know, one of the reasons that we've had a few people come on the podcast already is because we've got strong existing relationships with them and they trust us to be their logistics partners. So anyone else listening to the podcast can assume as well that, you know, by the fact of them having a good experience with them and trusting us to the extent where they're also willing to participate in a podcast with us, you know, would give you some reassurance that you can also trust us with your kind of logistics needs. But in terms of having an art background, I, I mean, maybe I would say that because I don't have one, but I don't think it hinders us in a way that people are going to want their logistics experts to have a background in art or sales of art or anything like that, because that's not what they're employing us to do. They're employing us to handle works with absolute care, precision and get something from A to B. And as long as our team can do that and they know what they're handling and they know the difference in the media and what those requirements are to protect that specific work, which every single person in the team knows that needs to know, um, then I think that that covers it. They're not looking for someone necessarily to know about conceptualism, for example, when they just want actually to get something. Is conceptualism a thing? Well, apparently that's what I'm learning. <laughs> like, right. And th- this is the thing. Like, Go show how, how, how out of it I am. <laughs> it's, and that's, that's like kind of why it's quite interesting because mm. also everyone kind of knocks around these words and talks about stuff that mm. I genuinely find really interesting, but probably don't know the most about. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because showing you're also interested in what your client does and how they work mm. and you want to learn that's got to be pretty reassuring to know that who you're working with is genuinely interested in kind of what you're doing rather than someone that's sat at the computer that doesn't really have any interest in what they're they're moving. I could never do a job that was in an industry that I wasn't interested in. So does it, so even though you don't necessarily see any of the art that Queens are moving, the fact that Queens are moving art instead of toilet paper gives makes you feel the oral is more interesting like i think so so you know what my background was before queens i worked in coffee and i did the marketing for nescafe in Mm. the uk and Mm. as much as i loved that and i think it was a great kind of starting point for me i wasn't like passionate and excited and want to talk about what i did as much as i do now at queens and i think you can tell like any person that speaks to me outside of work and asks what I do, I am totally different when I respond to when I did my previous job. Really? Yeah. And they've like noticed it. And also people are more interested in learning more about art from me than they are like coffee, for example, because everyone <laughs> knows about coffee. Yeah. Not many people know about yeah. art, including myself. Yeah. So I think it's, that's kind of almost where the idea for the podcast came as well. People are generally just interested to learn. I think. What were your kind of, um, what would you say your main motivations behind wanting to get it going were? I wasn't initially keen to get it going because I don't really like the sound of my own voice at all. And that stems from like, if I think about like when I was at school, for example, and we had horrible recordings when you were in like a Spanish oral class, for example, you had to listen back to your voice for an hour yeah. like I hated yeah. that so the idea of me doing a podcast yours is definitely better than mine really yours is yeah definitely like yours yours is good like listen to your pod it sounds yeah I think it sounds great oh no see I 
I hate the sound of my voice. And the idea of also editing that is pretty awful when you have to listen back to your voice a hundred times, you know, you get pretty sick of it. So I, I was, I didn't want to start it. Having said that, having started it, I really enjoy it. And I also wouldn't want someone else to edit it now because I find it really interesting. And mm. not only do I find like producing it interesting, but I also find like finding the guests and building the relationships with the guests that hopefully mm. aren't just going to be a guest. They're going to be someone that hopefully we either have an existing relationship with or we can build a relationship with, or they can become friends in the future or, or whatever they may be. I don't want it just to be like a one hit you've come on a podcast and we'll never see you again wonder kind of so 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 was that was that most of the motivation behind starting then just kind of the people and getting to know people and being able to absorb yourself more in what's going on yeah and the conversations we were having when you know we would go to openings when everything like opened up again or the conversations i've had with like friends since starting my new role i think they're conversations that are quite interesting i hope so it's basically just those conversations i think but recorded and on a podcast for people to listen. I think that's kind of where the idea for the the actual concept maybe came from. And obviously you were pushing for the podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it feels like all so many brands these days are trying to kind of also have their own media outlet as well. Mm-hmm. At, what, at what point, yeah, like at what company size does that start to become like, I mean, Queens is obviously a really small company. Um, yeah. It feels kind of ridiculous for every 10 person company. I mean, Queens is a little bit bigger than that, but it feels a bit ridiculous for every 10 person company to have their own media company within the company. Um, yeah. Yeah. At, at what point does it make sense? Cause like, and, and, and how, to, and to what extent do you kind of think about like, yeah. Interested to kind of hear your general take on like how a company, how a small company should be approaching their like, media strategy and PR strategy and marketing strategy. Yeah. So I don't think a small company should have their own media outlets. So Mm. what I mean by that is, and the very much the reason why the podcast temporary mission isn't a Queens podcast is because I think that, you know, the company has its, its core operations and its core communications that stay very much true to the company and what they want to achieve and their services, etc. And I think the role is then on the employees and the, also the company to find the right employees that are passionate about mm. areas, you know, maybe not, not outside of the company's operations, but maybe to a certain extent, not core to the company's operations that can then be effectively self-made publishers and press and promoters and you know, influences in their own right of the company. So I think the approach that I would recommend for small companies that is also working well for a lot of other companies that are similar size to Queen's is making sure that you've got your employees as advocates and Mm. making sure that your employees, when you have got small budgets available, let's be honest, a lot of small companies aren't going to be spending a million pounds on a launch campaign, for example, or a media campaign, they're not going to have a hundred thousand pounds to throw at advertising. Then the next best thing you can get, I think, is company advocates that are speaking about something that they're passionate about and sharing what the company's doing and being genuinely 
genuine with that as well. On social or just in their lives? Both. I think like on social, there is the argument that if you have someone that works for the company that can also build a following themselves that's interesting and by, I guess, almost as a byproduct that then people are led to Queens, for example, then that has, I think, a value because you're then creating kind of a media outlet that you want you turned it before without it being a company's, every single person has, every single company has an outlet that doesn't actually stand for much, doesn't mean much, and that doesn't have much scope necessarily. Um, whereas a person maybe has more scope to engage audiences more easily than a standard company communication. If you look at, say for an example, a Queen's communication would be much more simplistic in the sense that people want to know more about the specific operations of a logistics move, your vehicle specifications, and you maybe your security that you have to have in place. Whereas the likelihood that people are going to listen to a podcast on that, for example, is pretty low. Like I can't imagine you wanting to dial into a podcast listening about vehicle specifications, but you might dial into a podcast or download, sorry, a podcast related to something techie happening in the art world and then hear about Queens through that and then go and look at Queens yourself. Do you feel, weird question, do you feel that social media and the internet has made marketing, has made reaching customers more or less efficient? Is it, because like the internet has generally made everything more efficient, but like in marketing now, it seems like every brand has to have their own content media person their own social person Mm -hmm. you know like it almost feels like it's got more expensive to get your name out there so if you ask my view between like print and digital for example i think digital is a very efficient way of um, allocating your spend and you can track it much more easily it's much more targeted and if i had to choose between the two at the current point, I would invest in digital over print. Mm. And it could be much more reactive as well. I think in the ser- in the sense or kind of in relation to your question around um has the internet made marketing more efficient in general? I mean, yes, you've got a lot more people shouting about a lot more things, but I think if you do it well and if you're speaking to the right people, then that's all that matters. Like I remember we had one of our first conversations we had when we were talking about the marketing for Queens was I think someone mentioned that they wanted Queens to be a household name. Someone being me. We don't <laughs> want Queens to be a household name. Um, because at the end of the day, like not everyone is going to use Queens and not everyone can use Queens. And you know, 99% of people in the UK probably aren't going to be buying fine art. So mm. actually where digital and the internet kind of has a real role to play is allowing you to target that very specific person that we want to target in, you could argue also the most efficient way possible because you're not investing in print media, for example, where you don't necessarily know the readership levels. Also, you could you could look with print, for example, how many people they have subscribed to that issue doesn't necessarily correlate with how many people are actually picking up that article, reading it and seeing your 
um, editorial or your ad, for example, where it's digital. It sounds like there's a lot of fibbing as well about readership numbers on the magazine's part. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ambiguity with readership. And I mean, I'm not saying that it's wrong, but it's like, it's when you've got limited spend, it's easier to see where your spend is going with digital. I mean, Google ads, for example, you pay when someone clicks. Is that not any a much more reassuring place yeah. to put your investment if you can also see that converting and tracking it and seeing where they're going on your site mm. than running an ad in a, a print magazine where it's really hard to even see who's opened that. I guess so that if the company is having to pay for someone to kind of manage or I guess they get beforehand they had to pay for someone to manage making ads and everything anyway, so not a huge amount of difference. I, I think it also comes down to where companies are spending their money has changed because the marketplace in general is much more competitive. Consumers are demanding much more now and people are shopping with their own values and beliefs, I think, more than they ever have done before. And that's, for me, where brand is really important because if you think about when the last time you purchased something that didn't relate or align with your own values, it was probably a long, long time ago. And even down to your like smallest decisions, you're still choosing something based on your own values. And I think that applies across pretty much anything you'll ever have to pay for or or choose even as a service. You're going to choose an art logistics company that aligns with your own values and that you can trust, whether that be purposeful or not, it might be like subconscious, you're still making that decision. And that's where I think like the content has a role to play and marketing because you're effectively making sure that people align with your brand more than they do with any other brand. So re re household name, is it so obviously obviously Queens sells to businesses. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible for there to be a premium logistics household name? Because there isn't really yeah. one at the moment. I hundred percent think there is. I'm not a really rich person. I've never moved house from London to Monaco or wherever. Um but I wouldn't know I mean, I wouldn't know where to look because I'd give Queen's call, but um, <laughs> I otherwise I wouldn't I wouldn't know where to. I don't know. I read read a book the other day, and the author kind of points out that you'd probably be more inclined to spend three hundred quid on a Samsung TV than a two hundred quid Wangwei TV just because you've heard of Samsung and it's probably like yeah. it's worth a hundred quid for the peace of mind. Feels that the same could be said of like a premium removals or logistics company, but yeah, like, what, why? Why do you feel like one doesn't exist? And and so I, th- I, th- I think there's a, there's two ways of looking at that. You could either look at look at something in a completely different marketplace, and one that's just randomly sprang to my mind is like technology and headphones and um, speakers. So people would assume that Random, randomly ish, randomly ish, but it's because I'm looking at you with wearing a pair of headphones. Yeah. Yeah. And people would maybe assume that depending what level it is you're shopping at, Bose is maybe more premium. And then maybe you've got like Bang & Olufsen, for example, that sits maybe a cut above that. And then you've probably also got a, a brand that's super specialist and very specific to a certain need that I don't know what that brand is right now because I've not come across and I've not needed that. And I think up to a certain point, having kind of a mass reach is useful 
because people know to come to you. I know if I want to buy a good set of headphones uh, that I'll probably buy them from Bang Olsen because I know that they're a premium brand and they've, they've got a good track record, but also because my values align with theirs more so than any other company because I appreciate that they're like design led and they look nice. If you then translate that to art logistics or premium logistics, I think there's definitely space for more people to know about Queens as a premium logistics company for sure. But I think when it comes to something being so specialist, the better use of our time and the better also use of our investments so we can be as efficient as possible for our clients is focusing on those people that are most likely to be able to be using our service. So it's about, for me, increasing our awareness within the right subset of individuals that are going to be using Queens rather than increasing our awareness on the off chance that some people might be using Queens at some point. I really targeting... I like really targeting galleries or high net worth individuals and EAs and PAs, executives, and really making sure that we're meeting all of their needs and being as best as we possibly can be for them in the right places that we can be for them, or sorry, being in the right places that they're going to see us rather than creating this mass kind of brand that isn't really going to be applicable for a lot of people, unless you then change your service model to be something that's more mainstream. But I don't think that's where Queens would ever want to be because we've built a brand and a reputation on being this, the the ultimate basically logistics specialist. Like if you think about one of the reasons we're good at what we do is because we're specialists in what we do and we treat every client basically with, as if they are part of the Queen's family. So we send hampers to people as they join the Queen's family and they've kind of actually started using us as a logistics specialist. We take care in making sure that they're trained up on, you know, the latest protocols after Brexit, for example. Like we, we bring our clients on the journey with us at every possible turn. Whereas if we were less specialist in being a logistics company, our ability to do that would be, I mean, vastly diminished because we wouldn't be able to provide that specialist level of care, which is effectively what you're paying for. And not possible to do both. Or that just risks losing focus. And I think you, you tarnish what you're doing if you do both. It's like, as a brand, I think you can never sit in the middle. And I think you have to stand for something and... If you look at all the successful brands in the past, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but not many, if any, have sat there in the middle with no core values. And they've made a statement about what they are, who they're about. Well, there are loads of companies that do loads of things. Yeah. And then then you've got like your conglomerate style companies that do loads of things and that kind of operate in the same way, but they'll all have core fundamental principles underlying them. So... I mean, the example I would use is a, a company that maybe has five sub-brands underneath them. There will be something linking them together because that's why that company has chosen to invest in those companies and back them. And whether that's their culture or whether that's who they're targeting or how they craft their materials or whatever it will be, there'll be something because that's what a brand and I think a conglomerate also should stand for it. A conglomerate will also yeah. have its own principles and its own brands. And so you feel that 
fine art shipping and high-end home removals are just too too different to like one is off brand from the other i don't think one is off brand from the other they're targeting different well they could be targeting the same people but they're targeting different need states so the same person could be well obviously at some point is going to be buying fine art and need that moving as well as probably at some point in their life moving house and if they can use the same company for both then fantastic but i don't think that falls under the same kind of umbrella in the way that the way we speak to fine art clients and the specialism that we need for fine art clients is very different to specialisms and the requirements for a full residence move those two clients or even if it's the same client they have very different needs at those different points of coming into queens so if we want to make sure that we're servicing both of those clients in the best way possible. And we do do full relocations and we do do fine art logistics. It's making sure that they're full distinct services rather than us being a jack of all trades, because that's definitely not what we are. No, I I think it's about us having our set divisions and having the specialists in our company doing relocations, the people that are the very best at doing that and managing a full residence move. And then the people that are very best at moving art doing that. And making sure that we have got the best people and the best processes in place to do those at different times. How how much of the like, how much of this kind of stuff do you generally kind of think about in your role? Like to what extent do you feel like these kinds of conversations do come under marketing? Because it's, it's like partially like, you know, high level business strategy, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it's about brand it's kind of about marketing like yeah do, do you do you kind of do you find yourself naturally giving this kind of thing thought because of your role i think that two of the same thing so i don't think you can be a good marketeer without taking those things into account because you to be a good marketeer and to market effectively you've got to know exactly who your audience is and who you're speaking to and um on and on and on but if you don't know that, then I don't think you'll be able to do your job effectively because you're not going to be able to be investing in the right way. You're not going to be able to speaking to your clients in the way that you need to be speaking to them or reaching them. And then because you then know that information, if you are maybe that way inclined, you can then start thinking about how you can grow the business and what other areas potentially the the business can go into. And how you then position those because building a brand and a company is a kind of effectively, I I think, what a marketeer does. I don't think a marketeer should ever be someone that just sits there and sends out email campaigns to clients. That's like at a very basic level what someone in marketing could do and should do and it's like a hygiene factor if it's in the right circumstance and email campaigns is within your strategy. But also like what's the point in having a marketing team or someone work in marketing that isn't growing your business like there there's no point i think that's like one of the kind of main things so when mark and i started working with you mark is queens's md um for those who don't know mark well um we started working with james a year and a bit ago about that yeah about that i don't think we really kind of 
it, it was a slightly like we had an amazing feeling about kind of working with you. It's like you know, a lot of confidence that you bring a load to the table, um, but didn't really know exactly what a marketing person did. Um, mm-hmm. It seems that yeah, a, a load of like the amazing things that you have done have come from like a real deep understanding of the business and business generally and i don't know such as the kind of kind of tax seminars for instance um i guess you don't really kind of come up with that kind of idea without like i know what you mean in a sense though that to be like in marketing you've got to know what your objectives are and Mm. it would be strange if those weren't to be growing the business and to be reaching your clients and to be growing awareness or like, you know, increasing frequency of your existing client base. And in doing those things, you're then growing the business and thinking, therefore, what can you do next? And what are the next big wins? And if you're not doing that, then you're not really working in marketing and doing your job. Um, I don't think no matter what level in marketing you are, because effectively marketing should be about taking care of your existing clients so they want to use you more but also growing your client base and growing business how do you um as a marketer how do you like work on improving because it feels like like there are so many soft skills and so much of it's just about like general understanding of so many things Hmm. like how do you i mean clearly someone who's got experience in marketing is gonna have a chance of doing a better job than someone who doesn't have experience but like at the same time, it's kind of hard to see why because it's so soft and it's like, it's about being creative. It's about being good with people. It's about experience to an extent, but it feels like mm-hmm. it's more about like general understanding of the way things work. Like, are there any things that you do to like to further your skills? And yeah, I, I don't know. Is that something you think about? Um, I think the best piece of advice I was ever given in marketing was by the lady who was head of marketing capability at my old company and she was absolutely amazing and she basically instilled in everyone we went through a marketing academy and she instilled in everyone that a marketer has to be inquisitive and is has to constantly be learning and asking why and whether that's asking your clients or consumers why or asking your agents that you're working with or the agencies that you're working with sorry why or asking anyone in the business like why i think that would be how any marketer can improve and be as good as they can be i mean i'm now working in a lot of logistics company having never had an art background and the only reason i think i'm able to do that is because i'm interested in and i'm asking people why about a lot of things i think and and what and what do you do what do you do with those whys what do you do with the kind of so if answers to that question like is it is is it about taking those answers and communicating better to just help people understand what's going yeah you've got you've got to obviously do something with the why so if for example i asked a client why is it that you use queens and then they come back and they say i use queens because of your outstanding reputation and the fact that I know that I can pick up the phone and I have a single point of contact that I can speak to at any point. If you then speak to another 10 clients and they all say roughly the same thing, you know that that's a bit of a gold dust or a gold nugget, sorry, is probably the right word, 
that you need to latch on to because it's the likelihood is that your next 10 clients are also going to find that important. And if you can find the right way to communicate that, then you're going to be growing the business pretty quickly if everyone's then having their need of having that single point of contact met, for example. But equally... Because you're, because you're able to then appeal to people who actually want that. Yeah. And equally, that also applies not with your clients, but I think internally and kind of maybe with people that you work with before anything is even has even got to a client is asking why. So it could be around the processes internally of how you can make something easier for kind of from an operational perspective, how something can be easier to be to be managed and kind of why someone does it that way that they already do it. Because how, not having an art background or not working in art logistics before, and obviously I don't have to manage any of the logistics, so that's fine. But I think I have tried to ask why we do stuff or why someone who does work in the industry does things. If they have a great explanation, then fantastic. If they don't, then, you know, maybe we work on doing it a different way that might be slightly better. And just having an open mind, because you asked me a year ago, would I be starting a podcast? Like, definitely not. Like, But like now, now we're starting a podcast. So I think yeah. it's just being open minded. And do you feel, do you, do you feel that queens have like changed their procedures and the way they do things because of some of those questions that you've been getting people to ask themselves and asking yourself? I wouldn't say like, because of the questions I've asked, I think that would be like quite self-centered to think that we've changed our processes because I've like sat there and gone like, why do we do this? But I think like in Queens, we're lucky because I think a lot of people in the company are also asking those questions. So we're all sat there trying to figure out how we can make the company as best as we possibly can, can effectively. And that sounds really pluggy and salesy and it's not meant to, but I think genuinely we're all sat there thinking, how can we make Queens the best we can, can do? And also how we can make our roles as amazing as we want to make them. And by doing that, the byproduct is probably that we've changed quite a lot of our processes. We've made things much more streamlined. We're making sure that every touch point we have with a client is on brand for Queens and it's as seamless as possible and just constantly innovating and changing um, because everything just moves so quickly that I think that's the only way you can keep up. We've obviously spoken a bit about like on the innovation and change note. We've spoken a bit about some more kind of like off-piste ideas, not off-piste, some more kind of like, yeah, we've, we've been considering whether there might be a better way of doing things generally within the industry spoke a bit about a kind of like sky scanner for fine art logistics do, do, do you feel there could be a better way of doing things like how, how do you feel i mean it's, it's obviously a pretty traditional industry mm-hmm. works in a very certain way it's not desperately inefficient but it it feels like there may be some room for improvement i think there is a very different way of doing things for our clients so if you ask what our clients' biggest frustrations are or what they spend a lot of their time doing that they would rather they didn't. And that is organizing or kind of requesting quotes from fine art shipping agents and managing the process of getting in a quota, comparing them and choosing the person you're going with or sending that information to a client. And there's a lot of admin involved outside of the logistics operation 
before a project goes ahead. And I think there is always going to be a place for having the connection with the person that's shipping your Picasso for you, for example, like you're going to want to know who that is and you're going to want to trust them. So I don't think that will change or I'd be surprised if that did. But I think what has the potential to change is seem like, uh, is making the process much more seamless of requesting a quote and having the information all in one place in a consistent format from whoever you've requested, the, requested those estimates from. And then having the ability to make a genuinely informed comparison about who you're going to use. Because there's quite a lot of miscommunication in, not miscommunication, that's the wrong word, but there's quite a lot of inefficiencies in how a client chooses to go with a quote. And quite often companies or fine art agents include different things in the estimate or it's itemized in a different way. So comparing them is very difficult. It's, it's like when you go to Skyscanner or whatever and Ryanair looks to be the cheapest, but it doesn't account for the fact that you've got to... Then you've got to add baggage and then you've got to select your seat. And then it's all of that yeah. like stuff that actually you might as well have just gone with the first person in the first place. Whereas like, I think shipping, there is the scope to simplify that for clients or at least allow them to make an informed decision. If you look at Arta, for example, they set up something where you could effectively uh, request a shipment from A to B, and then they would get the quotes for you and, and make that call. And I think that obviously has its place and uh, is great for some clients and you know that's fantastic and they use it. Um, but I also think there's a lot of, need for our clients to know who they're dealing with and removing that or enforcing them to make a decision without knowing who is actually moving the artwork for them and knowing that they can pick up the phone to James who is shipping a Picasso for them at any point in time and find out where it is I think that's really important so you you can streamline the process all you like and I think the scope to do that but I think you've always got to have the transparency of who you're dealing with cool yeah, well, thank thank you so, so much for taking the time, James. So great to hear your thoughts and everything. Really interesting to hear about the modern, modern day marketeer, what it takes to bring a brand into, take a brand to the world. And um, yeah, thanks again so much for, for taking the time. Been great chatting. No worries. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And yeah, looking forward to hearing more on temporary admission. Our world. Our world is changing. Somebody's aspiring. You're going to have a whole lot of information. You're listening to Art Pod.